Well, welcome to our podcast. Today we have a special guest and a good friend, uh, Mr. David Kim. He's a managing partner at uh, Wright Kim Douglas. Uh, the firm specializes in uh, probate, trust, and conservatorship. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning. Nice to be here, Modi. Nice seeing you. Um, to the, the topic today will be um, specifically about conservatorship. Am I correct? Yes, uh, we uh, will be talking about conservatorships. Um, you know, it uh, seems to be um, in the news a lot. Uh, we just need to look to the media. So uh, I think there's uh, some important things to maybe discuss today with respect to the podcast and just your general uh, viewership. So you said it's in the news a lot. Why is it in the news a lot? Well, I mean, we just need to look to the media. Um, I think that uh, the most recent uh, movie uh, series by Netflix. I care a lot. I care a lot. I think that uh, provided quite an audience and viewership about conservatorships. I think generally speaking, most people don't even know what a conservatorship is. That being said, why don't you go and give us a little... Uh, yeah, so I can certainly expand... Conservatorship 101. That's right. Uh, but before I do, to answer your question, I think that um, that movie really sort of opened the eyes and ears to just the general public that don't even know about this whole area and this whole new world of just conservatorships, um, what, legally, uh, what the legal ramifications are, and I guess, according to that particular movie, what the consequences are, which can be very negative. Uh, but I'm also here to sort of paint the other side of that story. And there's also very positive stories that do come from conservatorships. So um, with regards to uh, conservatorships, what is it? Uh, basically, there's three different types of conservatorships. We're here to discuss just the general conservatorship. But <clears throat> generally speaking, conservatorships have two prongs there's a conservatorship of the persons and then conservatorships of the estate and uh, I don't want to be necessarily lawyer like but I also don't want to misquote the law and according to the probate code section 1801 a conservatorship of the person uh, may be appointed for a person who is unable to provide properly for his or her personal needs for physical health, food, clothing, or shelter, except as provided for the person as described in subdivision BC 1828.5. That's all, a lot of lawyer stuff there. Yeah. But generally speaking, a, pro, a conservatorship of the person really has to do with someone that needs some major help with, some with the daily necessities of life. They can't uh, cook for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't properly manage the what we call the daily necessities of life and the daily necessities of functions that you and I are easily be able to carry out every day during our lifetime. So <clears throat> that's generally what a conservatorship of the person is. Okay. The second prong <clears throat> has to do with uh, the financial or the money aspect. And um, that is defined as uh, a conservator of the estate may be appointed for a person who is substantially unable to manage his or her own financial resources or resist fraud or undue influence, which is very important. And then there's some other exceptions. <clears throat> the, the important takeaway here is there's this concept of substantial inability may not be proved solely by isolated incidents or negligence or improvidence. So, the bottom line is, uh, without all the legalese, I wanted to provide what the law says, but the bottom line is, when it comes to conservatorship of the estate, it primarily has to do with an individual where they're not able to manage their finances properly. Um, the very things that you and I do every day, uh, put gas in our car. Pay. This is mainly because due to uh, dementia? There, there are mental incapacities. Generally speaking, that's generally what happens. And also, um, like the code says, there are instances where there's fraud and undue influence, much like uh, the movie that you mentioned yeah, previously. Okay. Now, that's an extreme, 
Uh, I'm not here to say that it doesn't happen. It does happen, but you know, and there's different variations of that. But for the most part, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, you know that is one extreme, and of course, it's a movie. Uh, sometimes it does happen, but for the most part, uh, you know, conservatorships are in place to protect the individual at the end of the day. So you mentioned that there are three kinds of conservatorship. Is are you referring to the third one as the LPS? Correct. There's one for LPS. You mentioned that, and that's for uh, the mentally ill found by you know, you know gravely dis disability. Those are sort of those individuals that have these immutable characteristics that they cannot, um, you know, control. That's how they were born, right? Yep. And so they're going to need protection in that regard. Uh, generally speaking, those are folks that uh, are born born with some sort of disability. And um, God forbid they're able to uh, carry out adult lifehood with some kind of normalcy. Mm -hmm. But um, generally speaking, there there is an LPS conservatorship to protect them from just um, you know some of the societal ills that you know um, some you know some folks are subject to. So just for our audience to make sure that they understand what's going, the, the whole infrastructure of uh, cons conservatorship. So. Conservatorship of the person and the conservatorship of the state falls under probate. It's, a, it's, it's regulated by the probate code, yes. Probate court. Yes. And in, in, in generally speaking, uh, it's sort of the last resort, so to speak. Um, people generally have estate planning in place. And if that estate planning is full, you know, literally the full menu of estate planning, um, most folks don't need a conservatorship at the end of the day. Conservatorships are sort of the last resort, and um, the court does employ sort of a, a test, and that test is whether or not there's an alternative, restrictive alternative means out there uh, shy of a conservatorship. In other words, the conservatorship is the absolute last resort. If there's another option that um, meets the needs of the proposed conservatee, shy of a conservatorship, um, you know, the court will look to that. Um, the court would not uh, necessarily just grant a conservatorship for just granting a conservatorship. So can you give us kind of sort of an outline as to who are the players from the beginning to the point where the judge uh, appoints a conservator for a conservatee as to who, uh, who are the players and what are the steps from the beginning to the fact that you get to the hearing and the judge appoints, a, first of all, it goes, I understand, temporary conservatorship and then Shh. permanent. Yeah, procedurally, there, there is that two-step process. And sometimes those, um, uh, what we call uh, temporary or permanent petitions, can be brought simultaneously. Uh, generally speaking, uh, for okay. a temporary, there, there, there has to be some sort of show of exigency or emergency for it. Otherwise, um, you know, your general uh, conservatorships that don't have that exigency or emergency are just filed uh, as a regular permanent uh, conservatorship. But um, to go back to <clears throat> sort of who the uh, cast of characters or, or individuals are in a conservatorship, it's important to know that uh, someone has to petition to have a conservatorship and generally speaking, at that point or place in time, unless it's a voluntary conservatorship, um, it's usually a family member or someone that's close to the proposed conservatee uh, that would petition the court. And the probate code does have a uh, priority or hierarchy in terms of who stands first in terms of filing a petition for conservatorship. So for example, if um, you know a spouse uh, wanted to file a conservatorship for uh, his or her uh, married one or spouse, uh, they would have the uh, highest priority, priority. right? <coughs> Just sort of commonsensical too. Over the kids. Over the kids, and then the kids would come next, and and so on down the line. Uh, those individuals that are non-family members uh, have the least priority. So to answer your question. Uh, it's usually a family member or a friend who brings such a petition. Uh, it's also not uncommon for uh, private, uh, private professional licensed fiduciaries 
to also become the conservator of the of 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 the uh, estate or person or both. Uh, generally speaking, um, they're they're brought in because there's some kind of family dynamic where. Uh, the kids or the family members are feuding or um, there's some sort of uh, allegation or fighting that's being made uh, or it could be a neighbor, it could be a neighbor that is uh, protecting the proposed conservatee from other family members that may be stealing from mom or dad. Um, there's a whole host of different scenarios out there, but uh, it's not uncommon for uh, licensed fiduciaries also to come in as proposed conservators. Some are court appointed because the court sees the family dynamics and probably sees that that's not going to get resolved anytime soon. So, wait, 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 What do you mean some are court appointed? Some conservatorships are not court appointed? Uh, no, all all conservatorships are court, court uh, are, are subject to the court and the due process laws. Yeah, but as far as appointment of who becomes conservator, who steps in the shoes of the conservatee, mm -hmm. sometimes that could be via a court appointment of a fiduciary. So, in other words, the court will say, "Well, you know, the daughter and the son have petitioned to be conservator. They're fighting. They have allegations against one another." Um, Instead, how about this other alternative of bringing in a purely neutral person? Mm. In, in third party. Third party. And that's when the professional comes in. And that's sometimes when the licensed uh, fiduciary comes in. It could be someone else too, but typically it's a licensed fiduciary. So is it something that somebody like you as an attorney would, would recommend to the court? Or is it something that the court... Uh, recommends who who how, how do we how do they choose a fiduciary a professional conservator is it attorneys is a judge who, who who does that recommendation who puts the decision yeah i think i think generally speaking there's a lot of moving parts there um the quick answer is if everybody agrees okay if everybody you know everybody who's feuding that's or, probably doesn't happen yeah well it does happen actually uh, and sometimes it eventually happens. It may not happen immediately, but over time, uh, because there's a bleed to the estate, there's litigation costs constantly bleeding out of the estate, there's time delays. Um, you know, there's, there's litigation is um, not always the preferred route to, very res expensive. to resolve problems. And yeah, it can be very expensive. It can lead to time delays. Uh, and we all have a different tolerance in terms of how we handle litigation, right? So, especially in this p very personal, uh, you know, uh, very personal family type dynamic. So, the easiest way is for everyone to agree or to stipulate to a, a third party or a licensed fiduciary or someone that's neutral. And that's the quickest way, in my opinion, or as I've seen, that sort of, you know, um, uh, resolves the administration and you know the focus is really on the the conservatee which is what it really should be there's other ways where there's um, you know a dispute and you've got to have these evidentiary hearings over whether or not um, this person or that person uh, should be the conservator that can be very timely can be very expensive and at the end of the day um, you know um, you know, the, the estate is bleeding, and of course, the pros conservatee is uh, sort of on the sideline there. So, um, I understand that there's some new legislation coming in the, in, in the area of uh, probate and conservatorship. Uh, is, is, if so, can you tell us a little bit about it and what we should know uh, that is... Uh... Sure, yeah. So, um, generally speaking, uh, conservatorships have been around for a very long time. Um, I think the key sort of idea here or the thought is, um, you know, we all have a common destination. And that common destination is we're all going to age. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. And we're all eventually going to go. And there's many ways that we can go, right? There's, there's a way we could, for example, go without our mental faculties in place. We can also go, which is the vast majority, where our mental faculties are um, not all there and so it's a matter of how you get there right and you know estate planning is designed of course 
to to curb that if if there's solid estate planning in the family and in, in the designated agents that are part of that estate planning are really in the full spirit of that individual or that you know married couple or whatever the dynamic should be the vast majority of us are not going to need a conservatorship right uh, a conser- I, 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 I hope so because look uh, I, I've been doing this for a long time and just thinking about the fact that somebody steps into your shoes and taking control of your life it's even though sometimes I understand it's necessary sometimes but think about it it's a little scary that somebody comes in and, and will dictate your life yeah, no. Especially if they're conservative or the person and estate, they're controlling you as a person and your all, all your finances, and that's somebody. Especially if it's not a family or a friend, uh, if it's let's say like you said, a professional uh, fiduciary, licensed fiduciary, they don't really know you, and they come in and they're gonna say, "Well, Mr. So- Mr. Moti is going to live in this place. He's going to need this much." You know, it's I don't know. To me, it's a little scary, which leads me. And and I know I'm interrupting the your your discussion here, but 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 that's very I think, and this will be very interesting to the audience as well. How would you protect yourself to avoid, assuming you don't have these special cases or scenarios, but to protect yourself from having some random individual coming into your life and and pretty much taking over and saying, okay, from now on, look, I I, I looked, I watched the movie, I, and the movie was. To me, it was very disturbing, right? Because I think it was really to the ex- they 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 took it overboard, right? But even if it's if even if it was fifty percent true, right? It's still disturbing to some point. So my question to you: If this is family, what would you, as an attorney in a pro like your specialty is probate and all that stuff, what would you recommend? How would you protect your family? How would you protect your family? What would be your recommendation? What to put in place before you get old? Before if you were to lose your capacity. What would you put in place to make sure that, look, worst case scenario, if that hits, here is what I would do to avoid or to be as, listen, there's no 100% understand, but as safe as possible. What would be your legal advice? I know you cannot give legal advice. I'm not asking legal advice, but just as, as a conversation going on, what would be your kind of, what would you do for yourself? That's yeah. what I should say. Yeah, no, uh, those are all very good questions. I think... Um I wish there was a, um, a two plus two plus equals four type answer, but the reality is there isn't. And the reason why is because by the very nature of conservatorships, by the na- very nature of just estate planning and just that human dynamic, um, it's essentially that. I mean, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day. And at some point in time, you know, people change, right? Uh, people change. And you would hope that people change for the better, but sometimes they don't. And that could be motivated for many different reasons, uh, greed, money, um, whatever the, the motivation is. is uh, there's an unpredictability part of that human nature. And so I think what's most important is is if you do have estate planning or or if you don't have estate planning, I would suggest that you do. But if you don't have if you do have estate planning, I think it's really important that you periodically update it. In other words, if you designate someone as a successor trustee in the event that you pass or your spouse passes and that successor trustee you know, you may have um, created that estate planning maybe 10 years ago, but today maybe your relationship has changed with that successor trustee. Maybe there was a falling out. I don't know, but I think it's important that you stay relevant to that because at the end of the day, you're, you're entrusting people, like you said earlier before, to step in the shoes in the event that you something happens to you and that they will honor and carry out your wishes based on that estate planning. I mean, estate planning is quite frankly nothing but, you know, uh, sort of a fancy term for contract. It's it's a contract. Uh, it's a legal contract. It lays out what your wishes are in the event A, B, C, D, E happens, right? And, and, and the whole idea of that contract is to make sure that those that have the, um, the succession plan mm-hmm. will carry out your dying wishes at the end of the day, right? 
Like that's that's what anyone wants. That's probably what you want, and that's what I want. Yep. So if 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 that's what the contract is, you've got to make sure that um, you know you're you, that it's that's up to date. It, a contract can can come out of date, just like estate planning can come out of date. I may have successor trustees or certain individuals in the event that you know if a conservatorship is needed that I want. Uh, this person or that person to be the conservator well relationships change people also pass away right and and it's not uncommon for for example us where we have a situation where you know we have antiquated outdated estate planning and, and it's unfortunate because nothing was changed we're sort of dealt with those cards to deal with the the current crisis that we're dealing with right so I would suggest, you know, for for those that do have estate planning, you, you keep it up periodically. Mm -hmm. You also have an honest discussion in terms of, um, you know, who you would put in those particular roles. Because that, to your point, those people are literally, you know, stepping in your shoes once you either become incapacitated or you pass. So that's really important. Um, with respect to just conservatorships, and just, you know, your comment about how scary that is. Uh, absolutely. Conservatorship is a complete relinquishment of um, some of these uh, very, very essential, essential powers as an individual, including the right to vote. Really? You oh, actually lose that too? You can, absolutely. Um, generally, it's frowned upon uh, unless, you know, it's, it's actually required. But you know your 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 right to vote and whether you can participate in voting is something that um, can be lost as well. Generally, it's kept intact. But for example, if you know you have someone that is uh, severely mentally incapacitated and they don't know who the the current president is, yeah, then uh, obviously you can't vote. Of course, they have the right to vote. But the next question or the analysis is, can they meaningfully vote? Right, and so. You know, those are, again, questions that, you know, the court is not necessarily going to take the draconian step of just cutting off everyone's voting rights. But, you know, in certain circumstances, it would be appropriate where, you know, they, they just can't participate any longer in those voting processes. So to your point, um, you know, it is a complete sort of relinquishment of your rights, both as a person and of the estate to this proposed conservator, whether it be a spouse, a family member, a friend, or even a licensed fiduciary, you're literally taking that out of the palm of your hands and you're putting it in that other person's. So uh, to that end, uh, it's a very, very um, a big right. It's a big right that the court protects very much. Um, uh, I mentioned the concept of least restrictive alternative means. The court is always making sure that all the other uh, avenues have been exhausted. Exhausted, yeah. right? The yeah. conservator should be, should be the absolute last, last, last resort. And assuming that you can provide that evidence, um, you know, to the burden that is required, it's only then when a conservatorship will take place. So, so. That being said, if somebody has an estate plan that has a trust or a will, and if you want, you're welcome to elaborate as the difference or what do you recommend, is there a way to avoid conservatorship? Well, generally speaking, um, you know, a trust or a will, those are both estate planning tools. Uh, will is a, having a will is a type of estate planning. Uh, it's a very simple, straight-to-the-arrow type of estate planning. But the distinction there between trusts and wills is if you do have a will, uh, you know, you can still articulate what your wishes are upon your death, but it is subject to uh, probate. Uh, probate. Yep. And, and as you may be aware, and as you are aware, uh, the, the California Probate Code uh, codify statutory fees for a probate and it can be very expensive, very expensive right yes. so if you balance that you know statutory fee with having to go through the probate system versus um, an estate planning that 
you know, it could be a couple thousand dollars, uh, depending on the estate. Generally speaking, the legislature has said, listen, if you're not going to do your own estate planning and you're not going to do your own uh, wishes in terms of who go, who gets what upon your passing and you're going to pass that burden on to the state of California, then we're going to probate your estate. And while we're doing it, um, we're going to also you know, quantify these statutory fees in terms of what's going to be charged against your estate for having you know, the courts do that for you. So generally speaking, um, to curb against a conservatorship, you know, in any estate planning, uh, there is a portion of that estate planning where you can designate in the event that a conservatorship is needed, you can um, articulate at the time that you're creating it or amending it, who you want to be that conservator. But absent that, um, whether or not you're subjected to undue influence or fraud, or I'm subjected to undue influence or fraud further on down the line, is a big question mark. I mean, it's, the chances are probably not likely, but there is a chance. And if there is a chance, there is um, the conservatorship, which is a vehicle to protect that individual. What happens if your estate has no money? And you die in, how, how do you call it? Intestate? Intestate, in, right. Intestate, we mean you have nothing. That's right. So the laws of intestacy are exactly that. It's a statutory uh, scheme that basically, we call it estate, estate planning by default. Okay. There was no estate planning in yep. the first place. That's right. So the next estate planning is unfortunately in, intestate succession. And so that requires a probate. And also, there's no guarantees to it, right? I mean, there's anything that can happen to that. I mean, it, it, part of estate planning is to control your estate after, you know, a you pass and what happens. And uh, through intestate succession, sometimes um, it's not uncommon, for example, uh, for just people to come out of the woodworks and say, you know, well, you know, I was once, you know, that person's son or daughter or whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden, under the, intest the, the, the laws of intestacy, um, they have a toehold to that estate. Mm -hmm. So uh, in intestate succession, again, is sort of a uh, default, for a lack of a better word, for those individuals that have not done any planning. And they're basically you know, at the mercy of what the intestacy laws are in California. So here's my question. Um, when does the public guardian steps in? Uh, you know, public guardian versus a professional fiduciary. Because public guardian, maybe we should educate our guests. Sure. Public guardian is the uh, it's county, it's a county? Yeah, so public guardian is a county department. And mm -hmm. what happens is, is uh, we talked a little bit about before sort of who the players are in a conservatorship. It can be a... Uh, the spouse, it can be a family member, it can be a third party. Mm -hmm. So the public guardian is really that. It's it's another third party sort of to the to the. And table. when would you lose public guardian? Okay, when do they step in versus a professional fiduciary versus a family member? Sure. So that's an excellent question, and I think the distinction or the takeaway here is, if the public guardian is involved, mm -hmm. you you generally speaking know that it's a pretty serious case. Generally, the government or the public guardian doesn't get involved in this unless there's some serious, serious concerns for the proposed conservatee. And what am I talking about? Well, that's usually triggered by an adult protective services sort of referral. APS. APS. It could be a neighbor basically saying, hey, you know, John Doe, I've observed him. He's wandering aimlessly in the neighborhood streets naked or whatever the situation mm -hmm. may be. And he doesn't have any family. The only people that he has, for example, in that instance would be the neighbors. The neighbors don't necessarily want to get involved. So what's going to happen is they're going to call that in. Um, APS is going to come out and investigate. They'll do a report. And then generally the public guardian, or let's just call them the PG's office, they'll get involved and they'll, they'll start a conservatorship sometimes, right? 
uh, well, more, most oftentimes than not. And so when a conservatorship is started by the PG's office, generally there's some pretty serious underlying issues there to deal with. And mm -hmm. so um, although a you know the PG starting the conservatorship uh, may be the start, it's not uncommon for, for example, the PG's office to, if they don't um, see that case to the conclusion, it's not uncommon for fiduciaries to step in to take over. Um, so that's usually how the context of the public guardian and how they get involved. So let's educate our, our audience a little bit. So CAC, Court Appointed Counsel. Then we have PI, uh, Probate, investigator. Probate Investigator. Can you tell us what the role of each one of them and what's their background? I understand the Court Appointed Counsel, CAC, is an attorney or it has a uh, background of being a, a, a court appointed counsel. Yep. And then the PI probate investigator is not an attorney. Correct. So can you tell us about the difference between the two and what is the responsibility of each and one of them and, you know, so, so, so our audience understand? Sure. So without getting bogged down in all the legalese. Yeah. In I think, general. I, yeah. I, th I think the big picture here is... Uh, the probate investigator and the probate uh, uh, appointed counsel, or the court appointed counsel, mm -hmm. are two sort of players to a conservatorship. Once a conservative peti uh, conservatorship petition is filed, what's going to happen is there's going to be a probate investigator assigned to that case, and then what's also going to happen is is that there's going to be a court appointed counsel appointed on that case. Um, the big picture here is both of those roles are pretty much the eyes and ears to the court. These are folks that are appointed by the court. Their job or responsibility is to uh, investigate and then report back to the court. I think the key difference here is, is that the court-appointed counsel is exactly that. They are the counsel for the proposed conservatee that will eventually get conserved mm -hmm. and that added protection is involved because again you've got whoever's petitioning for a conservatorship but the question begs who's looking out for the actual conservatee right yeah and so the court appoints counsel specifically for that conservatee and that um, counsel is to be the conservatee's advocate at the end of the day um, the court investigator is essentially that, is sort of a news reporter. They're out to go investigate the facts, get everybody's input with respect to the proposed conservatorship, and then report back to the court with some kind of recommendation. That recommendation will be either grant the conservatorship or deny the conservatorship, or perhaps, as we talked earlier before, is there a least restrictive alternative means to what accomplish the, this? Sorry for interrupting you there, but what happens if the court appointed counsel and the probate, investigate, uh, probate investigator contradict each other in the report to the judge or to the court? One of them says, Mr. John Doe uh, may need uh, conservatorship, and the CAC says, ah, you know, I think we can... You know, it, it, first of all, has it happened before? Sure. That's an excellent question, and I think your question really leads to, is the system working? Yes, right. and, and if it works, how well does it work? Right. Or and how well it doesn't work? Sure, and I think the answer to the question, I can, you know, um, I think honestly say this based on my own prior experience. I mean, I, for example, I'm on uh, the panel as court-appointed counsel. I have been appointed as court-appointed counsel, and I want to say that, you know, there are differences that occur sometimes. Uh, sometimes a probate investigator will investigate and make some, certain findings or recommendations, and that those findings or recommendations, for the most part, um, you know, most mostly there, most of them are pretty on point. But there are instances where, for example, for myself, I mean, I, I may have differences with re, with respect to those investigating findings and and um, you know whatever facts that the probate investigator did. So uh, I think the answer to your question yet is yes, there are sometimes differences between 
what the court-appointed counsel will uh, feel is the right thing to do versus what the probate investigator will do. Uh, those differences are, you know, generally speaking, uh, differences that are respected, but that can uh, hopefully uh, lend a more uh, objective sort of picture to the court because the ultimate uh, decision maker is the court. And, and the whole idea is to get um, an objective uh, set of facts so that the court can make the most informed decision as possible. So those differences do exist uh, here and there. I want to say it's probably the exception. Sometimes it happens more oftentimes than not. But for the most part, um, you know, uh, a lot of the common issues are uh, issues that the investigator and perhaps court-appointed counsel will see. But sometimes there are those differences. So if I was to ask you, and I know maybe I shouldn't ask you, but I'm going to ask you, and you choose whether or not you want to answer sure. this. But overall, would you say the probate system is a fair system? So that's a loaded question. And uh, rather than take the fifth, I will say that... Uh, if you take the fifth, it wouldn't be interesting. That's true. So in that spirit, I mean, the bottom line is this. The, the conservatorship and the court systems are something that's ha that's been in existence for many, many years. Mm -hmm. In fact, prior to you and I being born, quite frankly. So um, is the system perfect? No. Uh, does the system work? Yeah, of course it does. Uh, to what degree and what the successes they are? It's debatable, right? And I think it's subject to the debate today. I mean, we can just look to the current legislation that we have right now where they're trying to make these changes in the legislature uh, when it comes to conservatorships. What are the changes? So, and I'll get to that. Okay. But to answer your question, though, uh, I don't think it's a yes or no type answer. I think the, the, the honest answer is, yes, it does work. But uh, are there areas that can be improved? And I think that's really what the focus is today. I think that's what the focus needs to be tomorrow because the reality is is not everybody has the luxury or the privilege to have the, the, you know, the red carpet of estate planning and sort of the ideal family members yep. on their side. Uh, it's kind of that dy dynamic that I spoke to earlier. You know, people change over time. And the idea is, is to have something in place in the event everything fails, right? If everything worst fails... Worst case scenario. Yeah, worst case scenario. If everything fails, hey, there's this vehicle called a conservatorship in place, right? And then the next step or analysis is, how can we make this better? Yeah, of course, there's going to be um, some rocky roads along the way. No system is perfect. But I think the... The, the discussion today going forward is, how do we make it better? And I think that's where um, conservatorships are today, and that's where it's going. I mean, some of the things that I'll share with you today uh, to your question about, you know, what are some of these changes? Well, currently, before the legislature, we have a couple of uh, proposals, and uh, they translate into AB 1062, uh, 465, and 1194. And without getting into all the nitty gritty of just what the proposed changes are. Just just for the record, this is California. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. California. Okay. And, and I think, you know, the big sort of um, 10,000 foot view, for lack of a better word, is uh, these changes, I think, for the most part, uh, at least the way that they were brought forth is this yearning desire from just the public and just families that are impacted with conservatorships is you know they just want more transparency uh kind of like your point early on in the interview about this movie the movie um uh, i can is it i can do no or, i care a lot i care a lot i yeah. care a lot there's so many different versions out there David, you're confused. way too young to start yeah, forgetting that's <laughs> true that's true but the reality is is there's this public perception yeah. that um it's sort of secret cloak and dagger and it's just unfettered discussion or uh, discretion of power for the individual that's stepping in the shoes and so i think these abs that are on the table are an outcry of just a desire and a yearning for more transparency and you know there's nothing wrong with that i think that there just needs there there needs to be some refinement along the way and i think that 
you know, these proposed legislations that are going to be pretty active for the next couple of months all the way up until October before... What, the, what happens in October? Well, in October, the governor has the ability to either to veto, veto or, or, or pass. Okay. And so up until then, there's going to be a lot of active discussions about pros and cons and whether, whether or not these proposed changes are for the better or if they're not. But I'll tell you something, after looking at all of them, there's one common theme there. And the one common theme there, which I don't disagree with, is protecting the conservatee. Which I am completely and, for. And, 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 and sort of curbing the abuse and mitigating the risk of those that take advantage of the system. And so I think in spirit, it's a great, great movement. as In terms of you know how extreme or how less extreme it is is subject to debate but it's certainly on the table for conversation and i think it will continue to be so well i i, and I think as long as the system gets better and more it, it needs to be fair at the end of the day at the end of the day because you know let's think about it it could be any one of us that end up in that position where you need somebody to take care of you and you want to make sure that the system is as fair as it gets there's no 100 i understand but we do need to make sure that whatever the system is it's actually to protect the conservative and uh that's why i asked you in the very beginning is as do you think the system works and do you think is the system is the system fair and does the system protect the conservative you know and because conservatorship like you mentioned is really the last resort when somebody loses capacity somebody cannot advocate for themselves somebody has let's say dementia advanced stage they the family has a feud or whatever it may be so it needs to make we need to make sure for all of us that the system is fair yeah because it, it, you know you don't know where you're gonna end up i'm yeah. gonna whoever you know so whatever it may be i always make sure i always put myself in the position of the actual client or conservative team are they being treated right? Yeah. And David, I'll be honest with you, I've been doing this for a long time. And I've dealt with many fiduciaries in the past. And overall, they're doing the job. But I can tell you one thing, by dealing with many fiduciaries, you know, I can see that some are doing a better job and some doing a, like, whatever job, you know. And it also, also depends on the caseload and personality of the individual. And I think the more there's laws to protect the conservative, the better it is. It's that just very simple. Because all we, take your, for example, take, let's say your mother. You know, you know. I'm sure you would want to make sure that if something, God forbid, happens to you, you want to make sure that if your mom ends up in a position where she needs for somebody to take care of her, that she is actually protected. Am I correct? Yeah. I mean, listen. The 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 idea in the spirit obviously is to do what's in the best interest. Of the of, individual, of the individual, or the, or the proposed conservative, or the conservative, and you know, you mentioned fiduciaries, and I will say this: um, you know, uh, there's a lot of cast of characters in um, a conservatorship picture. There's family members, there's the neighbor, there's the boyfriend, there's the girlfriend, and then you have the licensed fiduciary. I will say this: with respect to licensed fiduciaries, um, first of all, they're licensed. They're professionals. So they're regulated. They're bonded. Yes. They're regulated, and and at least at least from my ex my experience, they're usually the solution to the problems. They're the ones that come in, they sort of quell the fires, bring the temperatures down with respect to the family dynamics, and then they do what they're trained to do. They're they're trained to administer and problem solve, and so. Um, you know, that's my experience with fiduciaries. They do a fantastic job uh, for the most part. I do know that the courts do rely upon them in terms of a, um, you know, alternative remedy to try to move some of the litigation and resolve some of that stuff. So for the most part, you know, you mentioned fiduciaries, licensed fiduciaries. Um, they are trained to solve the problems and they generally will. And I think the, the, the takeaway here is is they'll also sometimes, you know, most times it, it happens in a very nice family reunion. I mean, there's 
cases, for example, that we, where, where we've represented a fiduciary and the fi family dynamics has changed. And then the next thing you know, I have beneficiaries and family members thanking me and my client profusely nice. for that's, getting, that's, for that's getting involved. Great. And I think that's the end goal at the end of the day. Make sure everybody's happy. Um, you know, is it perfect? No, no system is perfect. There's always room for improvement. But I think the idea is, is that for the most part, at least with respect to fiduciaries, they're trained to do this stuff and, and they're bonded and they're properly before the court. And for the most part, they, they have very pretty good reputations in terms of what they do. And some may emphasize in one area or another. But for the most part, they're, you, they're typically, in my experience, the solution to the problem. They're not the problem. That, 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 so, that's great to know. So, so I think that's important to note. And then just that these, these changes that are before the legislature are coming down the pipe. And I think the, and, and it also puts a lot of um, additional responsibilities, to your point, to some of these court staff, like, for example, the probate investigator, the court-appointed counsel. There's stuff in the legislation in the works where it makes them do additional things, like, for example, review the medical records, you know, um, and, and take certain affirmative steps, whereas before they haven't. So it'd be interesting to see what happens, what, what ends or concludes at the end of the day. But I think the, the spirit is, is that, you know, they want, you know, there's an outcry for more transparency, more accountability. And um, I think that's just where we're at today. And I think that's where it's going to probably go in the future. David, let me ask you something. I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but and I'm sure you have some stories. But are there any specific events in your professional uh, career that you can categorize as horror stories that happened to you in the conservatorship world that you say, oh my yeah. God, that's, yeah. that's yeah. like, is yeah. any, 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 I would love, I'd love to hear something, you yeah, know, I'd love yeah. our audience to hear because, you know, it's always good to hear the worst case scenario that sure. somebody like, because that's what you do day to day. And, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more as to what you do day to day, but that will be great to kind of get some. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, listen, I appreciate the question. Um, I just don't want to answer. <laughs> well, I, it's not so much that. It's just, you know, I, I have um, what's called an attorney-client privilege. No, no need and, to mention, mention yeah, names. And, and even if I don't, you know, even if I uh, hype, uh, uh, sort of uh, spin it as a hypothetical, it's probably best that I not. I will say this, though. Um, there are those stories out there. Uh, we wouldn't be here today if those stories weren't out there. Correct. But I think the, the flip side to that coin and maybe the positive side to that coin is there are a lot of success stories as well. And let's not forget that. Um, yeah, there, there's, you know, a lot of uh, bad press, a lot of bad media, a lot of, you know, uh, movies like the ones that just came out on Netflix out there. But for every one of those, I, I would venture to say there's a lot of success stories out there as well. And so it's sort of a balancing act. And, you know, there's many iterations of what that, you know, success story or that, you know, bad situation may be. But that's that's no different than any other area of the law. And, I, and I'm just here to say that, hey, listen, conservatorships are here. They've been here. They will continue to be here. I think it's really a movement of how do we make it better and how do we make it more transparent and how do we make it where... Um, you know, uh, people feel like they have confidence in the system and that it will work at the end of the day. No system is perfect. There's always going to be imperfections, but it's really about how do we make it better. And I think that that's what the proposed legislation is trying to do. There's a different opinion. In are you in support of the legisl new legislation? I mean, listen, there's some things there that, you know, uh, are in the spirit of transparency. And I think there's already some things there that the court, for example, if it's before the court, the court can already, already remedy a fashion and a resolution to it. But a lot of this stuff is really about codifying it in statutory form. And I think when it's in statutory form, there's sort of a little less discretion there. And I think, you know, there's, there's debate in terms of whether that's right or wrong. But I think, you know, I see both sides of the story. And um, personally, I think that, you know, the fact that we're all talking about it is a good thing in terms of whether or not it's one extreme or the other 
is quite frankly up to the legislature. So of course, um, I, I'm only I'm only hired to follow the law. Of course, and uh, and actually, I think by educating our audience, I think the more when people are informed, they can save a lot of money in the future by putting the right steps in, uh, up front and, and, you know, like putting the estate plan and so on and so forth. So I think it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a, tri- it's a tricky yellow brick road. And that yellow brick road will not necessarily be a straight path. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs along the way. And I think it's just important that, um, you know, whoever it is or, you know, whatever your current circumstances are, that you stay relevant and you stay in the here and now. Because, you know, like I shared with you before, the most unpredictable thing is human nature. And we all change. And sometimes yep. we don't change for the better. Yep. David, is there uh, anything else that you would like to add before I conclude this podcast? Nothing else. Just um, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed um, talking with you about some of these things. These are things that are uh, sort of near and dear to our firm and our practice. Uh, we, do, we are a probate and trust uh, firm. Uh, but we also do a handful of conservatorships as well. Uh, I think it's a uh, you know it's sort of the hot topic today, just simply because of uh, where we where it is conservatorships are today, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. I think we're all sort of living longer. Well, people people are getting older. We have the baby boomers, and 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 so it's so if anything, it's only going to get this industry is only going to get bigger and. They need services such as yours. That's right. And, and, and they also need services such as yours as well. I mean, I know that you provide um, a particularly um, service, a great service to those that are in need for, uh, you know, uh, throughout the different care communities that you offer. But, and I know that you have competitors as well. But the reality is... is David, I need to make this... Uh, I need to interrupt. We don't have competitors. <laughs> <laughs> they have competitors. That's right. Well, you know, I'll leave that all up to you. But I'll just say that there's more than one. And so the bottom line is it's not going anywhere soon. And, yep. and, and certainly the need is there. And so I don't foresee that ever going away. And it's really a matter of, you know, who can do the best job. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're, like I said, we all have a common destination. We're all going to pass someday. It's a matter of how we're going to go about it. Let's make it, let's make it as smooth as we can. That's right. Smooth as we can. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about a memory at the end of the, that's, the, end of that's the day. All so, that, that's always shall remain. That's right. So David from, David came from Wright, Kim and Douglas. Thank you so much. It was very informative and I really, really appreciate uh, coming and taking the time to spend with us and educate our audience. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to do it and stay tuned. Thank you. Bye.